thank everyone from all over the city because spring already and sunny hours are now longer. So let me welcome here our guests Alexander Kaspinovic from the Academic Research and Pratik Singh. Hey. Uh, thank you all for being here. And who am I? I'm Sadine Elbasuni, a master's student in the biochemistry program at the University of Oulu, your host for today, presenting the show, Communicating Research, where we meet some of the internationally known researchers in order to know more about science application and how research is executed. Today, we are shedding light on some of the coolest science in the fields of biochemistry, molecular medicine, and bioengineering through the stories from our scientists here, narrating their research experiences in a very simple manner to be understood by the public and the young students. As I said before, we have today in the studio Alex and Pratik, and then I will be presenting a recorded session for the professor Larry Lechtio, the PhD student Krista Eureka, and the PhD holder Valeriu Isli. Let's kick off firstly with an intro about yourselves and your background. Let's start first with you, Alex. Okay, my name is Alexander Kastamiotis. I am a university researcher at the Faculty of Biochemistry and Molecular Medicine. And uh, I've been here at the University of Oulu now for uh, almost, no, for more than 20 years. Um, my background is, uh, I was born and raised in Germany. My father is Greek, as you might be able to tell from my name. I did my, uh, well, I grew up in Augsburg, a lovely city in southern Germany, close to Munich. And then uh, this is where I did my Abitur and uh, moved on to Würzburg, the city of Würzburg, where uh, the Röntgen, the X-ray was uh, discovered. Uh, and did my uh, basic biology studies and uh, when I was at the University of Würzburg, uh, we had the opportunity for an exchange program with the University uh, at the State University of New York at Albany, uh, New York. And I went there for a year and liked it so much that I actually asked uh, there if I could join the uh, doctoral program because I had just finished my polytool, which is roughly equivalent to a bachelor's. And they recognized me as a bachelor's, so I went there and I stayed there for seven years I thought initially I was going to be faster than my colleagues in Würzburg because I skipped the masters, but in the end we all finished at the same time. Okay. And then um, in the year 2000 came the question, where would I want to do my, my uh, uh, postdoctoral work? And I had been working on gene regulations and uh, uh, felt like we were hitting our walls and wanted to do something else. And uh, I also met a lovely Finnish lady and uh, figured out, I, I look at the opportunities that uh, are open in Finland. I got into a splendid uh, research group, which was led by Kalevo Hilton, and just starting a new project on mitochondrial fatty acid synthesis, uh, where they were looking for actually somebody with the least experience, because I was, and I didn't mention this, uh, my main uh, study organism back then was uh, basically Saccharomyces cerevisiae. So I had this expertise, I came, I found a fantastic project, and then was, uh, after a number of years being a, a postdoc, fortunate enough to uh, get an Academy of Finland fellowship and uh, started my own group. And now I'm at the Faculty of Biochemistry and Molecular Medicine and there uh, running my own group and also uh, 
I'm working there as the coordinator of the International Master's Program and I'm also the academic director of the Master's Program, so that's me. <laughs> Indeed, that's quite a long intro and I did not know that there is a long story. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Pratik. Thanks, Salim. So, hey everyone, I'm Pratik Singh, originally from India, but now living in Oulu, Finland for roughly five years continuously, but uh, I first came to Finland ten years ago. I've done my bachelor's in biotechnology from uh, National Institute of Technology, Durgapur, back in India. And uh, I graduated as an engineer. But in the second final year of my engineering studies, I was offered a visiting researcher position at Aalto University in space robotics and systems automation. And then half a year stint over there, I uh, moved back to India, finished my degree, and started my first research uh, fellowship at Institute of Genomics and Integrated Biology for almost a year, I think. There I worked on uh, chemical biology, developing uh, animal models for neurodegenerative disorders. And then I started looking for master studies abroad and I came to Finland for my master's in biochemistry and protein science. During that time, uh, the two years uh, during my master's, I took uh, good use of the Erasmus scholarships which are available and uh, went around Europe in three countries uh, just for some small internships and uh, exchange visits and then started my PhD in studying sweat biology and uh, sweat dynamics in humans and developing sensors for the same as part of my PhD. In the third or fourth year of my PhD, I was really lucky enough to get an EU funding for a dream project of mine, which is now uh, running as a full-fledged company for past two years. So that's my short introduction. I would love to know what kind of business or project you got the funding for. The it, It's still a R&D company, uh, and we draw miniature human organs on on these microfluidic devices, which are then used by academia and pharma to do preclinical drug discovery. And uh, the benefit of our platform is that we are able to keep the human tissue, or in some cases the animal tissue, in as close as physiological environment uh, that is present, or that, that is found inside the human body, outside the body. So we hope that the results what we are seeing there are, uh, they will never be as good as what we see inside the body, but uh, at least a bit closer than the traditional systems what we are using. Well, as humble as you are, uh, we need to know, guys, that uh, Pratik Singh is the CEO of Finadvance, the uh, company he was just describing, its service. And I would love to know why were you motivated, Pratik, to start this kind of business? So I, I never had that uh, entrepreneurship feeling. Um, not an entrepreneur by birth, I'm a scientist by birth, but uh, the field what I'm pursuing is high risk, high reward. You have to have uh, really good talent as well as really good funding to achieve this. And this is something which I felt is a bit lacking from, uh, from the surroundings I was in. So that's why it's, it's a matter of situation. If you want to, uh, if you have a high target and if you have to achieve it, then one of the ways to do it is by entrepreneurship, to start a company around it. So that's why I decided to start the company. Otherwise, my uh, being a scientist has been in my DNA and not 
the other way around, not to be a business model. Okay, let's move on to you, Alex. As an outsider uh, for life students or whoever likes to check the university research page, I've seen the word mitochondria, which you have mentioned, mm -hmm. and the fatty acid synthesis, the yeast. I would love if you would just explain to us briefly what is your research here about. Okay, I'll try to do this briefly. So. Uh, as Sadine said, so we work on, on uh, mitochondria and more specifically on mitochondrial fatty acid synthesis. So probably all of you have heard, at least in high school, about the general makeup of the cell and there are these organelles. So these are uh, eukaryotic cells, so cells that are not bacteria. They have so-called compartments, so different places in the cell where different uh, types of tasks are being carried out. And the mitochondria are most famous for energy conversion. So uh, um, the energy that we get with our food from fats or from, from sugars, for example, in itself is not usable like that. So you need to have a place where this gets turned into a uh, form of energy that is usable for the cell. Just like, you know, we have water or, or wind energy that by itself we cannot use it for, for all kinds of things. Uh, so uh, as, as humans, we convert that into electrical energy, which is a more universal way of, of using energy. And this is what mitochondria, among many other things, this is what mitochondria do. So they take, they kind of extract uh, uh, the energy from breakdown products of, uh, of sugars and turn them into a energy currency in the cell. Um, and this is called ATP, which can be used universally within the cell. So that is one of the, one of the main tasks. And uh, this mitochondrial fatty acid synthesis process uh, that we work on, now, um, so this is, uh, a regulatory process in the mitochondria to make sure that this is a uh, th this process of energy conversion uh, runs in a controlled manner. So what happens in the cell is, and let's stick with with sugar with glucose because that's the easiest way. We initially get a breakdown of sugar uh, of glucose to pyruvate. It's called glycolysis. Uh, it gives you fast energy, but but uh, very little uh, in terms of what's actually there. You get two ATP from what is overall 36 or 68. You can get from uh, uh, glucose. And pyruvate then gets turned into something that's called uh, acetyl-CoA and this is then used in the mitochondria to extract the energy and uh, uh, to extract energy-rich electrons basically that you run through a machine that's called the respiratory uh, chain. And uh, so basically what the respiratory chain is what you could imagine as being the power plant and uh, the acetyl-CoA that we put in, which you could imagine as maybe cold pellets, so like as the water that flows through. But uh, the cell in the mitochondria has to be economic, so they need to only turn on as many respiratory chains as they need. And so the mitochondria needs to know how much it actually re is required to turn on. So the mitochondrial fatty acid synthesis pathway uses the same compound that is actually used to extract the electrons from. It siphons out from the supply that comes into mitochondria and kind of measures uh, proportionally how much is actually available and then tells the mitochondria how many of these respiratory chains, how many of these power plants basically to turn on. Uh, and this is what we're, we're uh, um, researching. We want to know the components involved in the pathway and we want to find out more exactly about what is actually the signal, this regulatory signal that uh, is produced in this mitochondrial fatty acid synthesis pathway. I hope this was simple enough. Yeah, it was simple enough and quite deep uh, into the science. Uh, I hope all the students 
all better when you understand what you're saying. So let's now move on to the music. Uh, our first song, the Hall of Fame, for all the great leaders out there. Now let's start uh, with the tasks and how you go about your work in research or with your startup. Uh, let's first start with you, Pratik. Yes, Adim. So my daily work uh, involves, at a higher level, the research design, uh, what the company is doing today, tomorrow, in the next five and ten years. Because uh, as a startup, we have to uh, be, be very competitive in our output, as well as in getting our funding for this said uh, high-risk, high-reward output. So that's why, for from us, it is really expected that the plans are made not only for the one or three years, but as long as 10, 20 years ahead, with the financials on hand and uh, financial and research output forecast on a monthly basis for 10 years. So that is my uh, daily job. And uh, then uh, I don't do I don't do experimental design down to the uh, to the level of deciding, okay, who is doing what work at this hour, but uh, what are the resources uh, that will be allocated and uh, which project is the priority and uh, what is the deadline before which we have to have a go or no go signal to continue the project or to look at the, the achievements. Th that's in a way. And then the second part is the fundraising. It's everything is expensive when, when you are doing uh, research as an independent company and uh, even everything from gloves to even basic sterilizing uh, equipment, we have to pay ourselves. So that's my 100% apart from the research design uh, to look for, for funding on a daily basis. And that's also, I have to judge very well to keep the company's vision, the vision what I have at hand and not becoming a sellout to some investor who doesn't see the vision but is only interested in making uh, doubling or tripling their money next day. Uh, you were also doing the research uh, PhD thesis. Yeah. Uh, would you tell us how it's connected to business? Yeah, the uh, PhD is done on a very basic biology on how uh, the human sweat can it provide as a, a channel for uh, insights into the human body. So that's, uh, that's a very good way that the startup is on applied research to develop products that can be used by the pharmaceutical industry tomorrow or uh, tomorrow literally means tomorrow can we uh, can we give anything there but uh, at the same point very basic research is also important to understand how things work because without knowing how the human biology or for example one day we envision that the sweating from human body can be read by a wearable. There are startups around the world who are developing solutions to uh, study the uh, chemical and biological signatures in sweat and then predict how the body might react to a certain antigen or are we developing a fever or a disease. It's still quite far from actual adoption to our normal lives, but uh, this wouldn't have been possible without the basic research. Let's move on to Alex. I would like to know how you go about your research workload in the lab 
responsible for us being most supportive of the students. Okay, so, so it might, might actually be interesting to, for you to hear that what I do is not fundamentally different from, from what Kapik is doing. Uh, on, a, on a different level maybe, but uh, uh, being a research group leader, I'm more involved right now with, uh, with actually getting funding, uh, kind of trying to, to have a look at the more like grand picture of what's going on. I have to plan uh, four or five years ahead, not 20 like him, but anyway, it's, and it's I'm more like an entrepreneur also because I have to get, get uh, funding and I have to uh, praise our publications to uh, like put them to the uh, different uh, uh, journals and tell them that they should publish this because it's great. So it's, it's I'm like working on a marketplace. Um, I spend little time uh, on the bench actually, uh, which I still enjoy, but mostly I'm coordinating uh, and making the grander plans uh, in discussion with my students. So I meet daily with my students basically, even if it's only for 15 minutes, um, to, to make sure that uh, everybody's on the track and we understand what, what everybody's doing. But generally it's more like a managerial position uh, and uh, uh, I can have the grander visions but I also have to find ways of actually financing these visions and how we do things. Now, the second question was about co the coordinator as yeah. the master's program. Well, uh, as the coordinator, I do the interviews uh, together with a colleague uh, to select the most talented uh, applicants that we have. I help them in the process of uh, getting to Finland, which for people outside of the EU is uh, sometimes very difficult, and where I try to support them in any way possible. I act as their tutor, so uh, if they have questions about their studies, uh, also maybe about their future and outlook, I try to help them uh, in that manner. So my, uh, as a coordinator, I'm, I'm trying to get the best students possible and I'm trying to uh, help them as much as possible through uh, their studies and uh, their further career, career. I think that's what I can say. Well, as a student myself, uh, Alex did help me a lot as an international student to come to Finland and settle down with my uh, master program. So thank you very much for that. And I would love that you, Alex, also share an input. Why is it uh, good and uh, excellent place to come and study in Finland? Okay, so fin fin I'll talk about Finland and then about Oulu specifically. I mean, Finland generally is, uh, is, a, is a highly highly developed society. Um, uh, it's, uh, Finland in general is a safe place um, with uh, very little corruption. Um, the level of education is, is very, very high. Uh, I can speak for every university and also on the regular school level. Um, so it's a great environment uh, to, to get into uh, an academic field. Um, then uh, Olu specifically, uh, I can speak mostly for the, for the biochemistry program. Uh, we have an excellent biochemistry program if you're interested in structural biology or things around hypoxia or uh, disease models. Um, so we, are, um, we have a number of, of excellent specialists in this field. Uh, we have a very, very high level hands-on education for master's students. I think that sets us apart from many other uh, um, programs. Um, we are very supportive. Uh, the hierarchies are flat, so a professor is not a demigod up on a chair, but you can approach almost everybody. Uh, so it's a very collegial type of uh, environment where uh, open discussion is highly valued. And uh, so also, also specifically, I would say if you're somebody who loves the buzz of the big city, maybe Olu is not your place, but if you like to be in a safe place, 
uh, with all the amenities you expect from a modern city, but close to the outdoors, and you love the snow, uh, and an excellent education for comparatively little money, even for people outside of Europe, uh, then this is the place you should really check out. Well, that is a lovely way uh, to tell to the students out there uh, how nice it is to come and study in Finland. Now let's move from old to Helsinki. So you, Patrick, uh, you teach in Helsinki, right? I've been doing some graduate school teachings in Kuopio, Helsinki, yeah. What kind of subject is it and how do you manage to cover with your startup and also your research work? It, uh, it depends. Sometimes it's on uh, uh, stem cell biology, very technical topics uh, on tissue engineering. And then most of the time it's on scientific outreach as well as uh, entrepreneurship, how to take uh, research to business in, in engineering or in uh, biochemistry or medical fields. And uh, this, is, uh, this is, I think, quite important. If you are good at something, then it, it is not only, uh, if you are not able to communicate that to people, then it's not good enough. Uh, normal people, or by normal people, I mean the general public, which is not involved in your field, should be able to understand and see the impact of what the, the research you are doing. And uh, this is even more important when you consider that most of our basic research is funded by the taxpayers. And I think it is our duty that uh, whatever we do, uh, we should are communicating it back to the society and putting a feedback loop where the society understands where the funding is used. And if they understand the science really well, in even with the general terms, they would be, again, very happy or very open to invest more of their tax money into the science. So it's a very positive feedback loop, and sometimes when this loop breaks, uh, I think in my opinion that uh, it, is, it is happening when we fail to communicate our output to show the importance of our work. It's uh, even if it's something which will not help us tomorrow, but it lays the foundation of building uh, the society or the uh, medical community for the next generation. And it's quite uh, interesting, but I would like to know how do you teach and travel? It's a uh, travel is uh, I, s I love research because travel is an inherent part of it. Even in last year, I've been traveling, irrespective of COVID-19, in projects uh, uh, when <laughs> when uh, COVID-19 was at peak in Italy. I got invitation from one of the hospitals to start a project there, and it has not been a problem if you're in that field. And this is really great thing about research that you're able to do your dream job and travel to really beautiful places. Uh, but it it does mean that. Um, that uh, you cannot give an excuse that, yeah, I'm traveling, so I cannot do work on these two days every week. That's, uh, that may be seen as a bad point, but uh, uh, for, for people who have the right motivation, and uh, they know that this is just part of your job. And basically, motiv motivation is the one which drives that. So that, uh, I don't see uh, any issue that uh, traveling is taking out time from work. and. Uh, in terms of startup, uh, it really helps me to uh, advertise the startup, and we are always looking for talent, uh, really talented and motivated people. Uh, so with these um, uh, public outreach, I'm also able to attract uh, young researchers who might be looking at entering the applied field, and 
basically it's a win-win for both uh, myself, my startup, and the uh, and the audience. Quite a nice way to highlight elephant currently a multitasker in research and startup. Now let's move on uh, for the students out there. Uh, if they're interested in what you're doing, Pratik, uh, and to join your company, what sort of skills they need in order to be a candidate? Apart from your basic uh, education, which is required for this, uh, for working at a, a biotech company, I really look at intangible skills, skills which are not taught in the school. Uh, it means, can you turn an idea into an innovation? Seeing the difference between having a good idea and having an innovation at your hands. I think that's really the skill which is difficult to teach, and that's why that's maybe the one skill which I look at. And the, apart from that, of course, technical know-how, your practical uh, understanding of uh, uh, biochemistry about uh, technology, microtechnology is really a must. Okay, and also what kind of skills do you think, uh, Alex, is important for you to help to kind of get into the research in the academic field? I mean, if you talk academic field in general, I think mostly creativity and interest and openness. Uh, if it's biochemistry, then of course you need to have the, the basics in molecular biology and biochemistry, but open is the most important to join research. Now let's move on, Alex, to how science affected your personal life. Okay, I think, uh, and I think that's true, like as a scientist, like being a scientist is not a job. It has to be part of your life. For some people, it's their entire life. I've seen this also. They're also usually very, very successful. But uh, it's not a nine-to-five job. Uh, it's, uh, it's in your head all the time. Sometimes you have to turn it off, but it uh, gets you busy also after hours and in the evening on the weekends. Um, and that sounds like a bad thing, but it's, it's really, really exciting and you're on the edge of uh, what we know at the moment. And uh, a big privilege is that I get to hang out and talk to the most, most smart, the smartest people on this planet all over this world. That's a fantastic experience. Also the smartest students that we get in, I get, get daily inspiration from you guys. So um, I wouldn't want to miss it for the world. We hear always the success story that a scientist uh, have published a paper and then we as a student, then we heard the stage before that is worse like I'm writing a manuscript or a monograph or a thesis or a dissertation uh, or a review article. Could you like kind of describe the difference, maybe you Pratik and then we end up with you Alex for this session? Yeah, so for if you are talking to a professor and the professor has a publication, it means that it was professor's idea and that th that guy or girl or woman has led the whole idea. And the people who are writing the manuscripts, they are not in that stage as of yet. So I think that would be my assessment of uh, differentiating between a manuscript and somebody claiming that this is, you know, my publication. And I think the faster we, as students, if we understand the difference, I think uh, to become a good scientist, that's a very good driving force. At what point can you say that this is your work? Are you the one who has designed the whole project from scratch? Or are you the one who has done the pipetting? And you, Alex. Okay, I have a more technical uh, um, definition. So uh, a publication is something that has been 
published in a, uh, a journal or some uh, kind of medium that is uh, openly accessible, hopefully openly accessible right now since things here still have to pay. The manuscript is the stage before where you have written up your uh, results that discuss them and describe how you got to them in a, in a uh, structural manner. And this is what you submit to a journal to hopefully be published. Uh, a thesis is uh, um, the kind of the cumulative work that you've done as a master's student or as a doctoral student. And uh, this can be done as a monograph where it's really like uh, a, a long written text uh, where uh, you have an introduction and then you talk about how you did it and then you talk about the results. But it can also be uh, an accumulation of uh, the publications that you've had and then your introduction and the results part is a little shorter. Um, did I miss any of the words you were talking review about? Article? Review mm -hmm. article. So review article, this is not based on original research work done in your lab, but this is where your expertise is used to uh, kind of collect all the knowledge from publications in your field and you try to condense that in uh, a, a way that is comprehensible to people close to the field. Well, I think we have described mainly the words for publishing a paper, so it's not just the paper, it's actually different uh, from one word to another. That's quite a nice way to wrap up the session for the fellow students out there who are interested in doing research, masters, or then later on for real career posts, doc, 